0: So, last week, uh, we talked a lot about what it means to be a disciple and what it means to make disciples. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you now, I believe God has something special for us this morning because he has arranged circumstances in such a way that only he could get credit for. Uh, Several weeks ago, uh, we had the opportunity, me and Susie, who I'm about to introduce here, Uh, had the opportunity to kind of discuss with a young lady her story. And uh, we had the opportunity to start planning and preparing uh, for a testimony, uh, a story that we wanted the church family to hear. And uh, wouldn't you know it, that was our plan But that was not God's plan, and sometimes we just have to recognize that, that there are times where God takes things uh, from us and decides to change things around. The young lady that we're discussing uh, was supposed to get on a plane yesterday at 6 o'clock and be back in Charlotte at 8 o'clock, and her flight uh, got canceled at midnight last night. And so, uh, and so you, you can imagine uh, in that moment what we needed to do uh, to make this morning happen. And so this morning, I've got Susie and Christian up here, and uh, they're joining us. And we basically uh, had the opportunity, God gave us the privilege this morning, to really write the message of the morning at about 8 o'clock this morning. <laughs> And uh, so our plans change, but God, this didn't take God by surprise. And we believe that God has something in store for us this morning. Uh, This is Susie Terrace. Susie uh, was a part of the original planning of this morning. And then I asked Christian Harmon at midnight last night. He's our student pastor. uh, Christian's one of the quickest thinkers on his feet that I know. And I said, Christian, can you uh, jump in and help us this morning? And so uh, I just want us this morning to give grace, if you don't mind, give us a little grace this morning as uh, we really just had to change everything at the last minute. But we're talking about making disciples this morning. And I just want to take a minute, if you guys can, just maybe for those that don't know, or maybe if they're new there this morning, maybe introduce yourselves and maybe talk a little bit about what ministries you're involved in here at the church.
1: Well, as Jonathan said, my name's Susie, and I've been here at Pleasant City for about 20 years. And my original ministry here was with the Iwana program years ago, and I worked with the boys' group, and that was a real blessing. And I worked with them for probably close to 10 years, and then sort of as that program phased out, and I moved over to attending uh, Tina Glesson's Wednesday night women's program. And Tina and I co-led that group for a while, and then I think it's been about six years I've been leading the women's group on Wednesday nights. And so that's, that's my primary ministry here at the church. Hmm
2: and I'm Christian Harman. Uh, I've been here since 2012, so nine years. Um, my wife grew up here at this church and um, I'm the student pastor so I' work with middle and high school students and also our college students and that's my primary responsibility I am on staff but I have also this little line that says other responsibilities as assigned." <laughs> um, if you guys know what that means so also that's the live stream so Hey, live stream people, I work with that, and the greeters, and all anything else that anyone can That's our can loophole
0: to get you to do whatever <laughs> we <laughs> need you to do. Yeah,
2: whatever <laughs> you need, just, you know, just throw it on me, I'm good.
0: Yeah, uh, so we're talking about discipleship. Tell us a little bit about um, maybe who discipled you in your, in your years as fo- uh, uh, following Jesus. Uh, this question's for both of you, but who really discipled you uh, in your walk with Christ?
2: Yeah, for me, starting off with my dad, just growing up, um, my dad was the primary disciple in my life, um, a great man of God, and then it just changes in different parts of your life. We see, you know, different people coming into our life. Uh, I think about my Uncle Dan, who really um, showed me how to live out the walk of Christ and what that looks like and then um, going through like my actually my father-in-law without my father-in-law I wouldn't be the husband he John who's actually here yeah. last week who was the um, he was sitting in Jonathan's chair last week um, he's my father-in-law and they do the marriage ministry and I can't imagine being I'm not a great husband now and I'm working on I'm trying to get better every day but um, without that discipleship in my life uh, it was just been huge so different people different times with my dad Dan uh, and John have been three major ones
0: yeah what about you Susie
1: Well, I was similar to Christian in the beginning with my parents, particularly my mother and my grandmother, that both really fed into my life. And then when I first got married, uh, we went to a different church here in town, and I had a really special, special Sunday school teacher there, Sue Hudson. There's probably people in this room that remember Sue. And the legacy that woman left, she discipled women, all over Cleveland County, you know, through through the years and she left a mark on so many people's lives. And then I taught middle school and I was really blessed to have a group of teachers there that we started a Bible study group together after school and we stayed together for about twenty years, hmm. just really discipling each other. And some of our members changed, but we just had a core group that stayed faithful to each other and then here at the church, I've got some just really close women friends that um, we hold each other accountable. Uh, we just, we share things with with each other. We pray together. Uh, we get off track. We confess it to each other. We get back on track. And so, uh, and then of course my Wednesday night group ladies. They are such a special group of women, and there's just transparency uh, among them that we just minister to each other. And this is what I
0: love about discipleship, that you never just get to a place where you arrive and you're beyond uh, having people in your life that are pouring into your life, right? I mean, this is where we all find ourselves. And this is what we were talking about last week, Matthew 28, the Great Commission is really more of the great commandment, right? That it's not a calling for a few, it's a command for everyone. And Jesus does this in such an incredible way. After he dies, after he's resurrected... He gives us this assignment. He gives us this assignment to, as we go, as we go on our places that we go, not just overseas, but as we go to work, as we go to Walmart, as we go to school, as we go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that He's commanded us. That this is not a special calling. This is a command for every believer that's in this room. And the glory about that, the beauty of that, is that we don't do that alone. That he, he takes that assignment and he sandwiches that between the authority of his power and between the assurance of his presence. That he gives us this incredible promise that we can hold on to. That when we do this and as we do this, he's, he's with us. He never leaves us. And so the question this morning for us is this, what happens when we take seriously the command to make disciples? What happens when we take seriously this command to go and make disciples? I I think we can sum that up in one word, and it's not a spiritual word. It's a math word. The word is multiplication. God has given us an assignment, and the heart of God is that disciples would multiply, that disciples would multiply. And it's not just God's heart, this is our church's heart. In fact, one of our culture values here at our church is multiplication is greater than addition, Multiplication is greater than addition. This comes right off of our website. So you can go look up our culture values on the website. But this is verbatim what that, that part of that value says. Listen to what it says. The result of true discipleship is when there is multiplication. When people are transformed by the gospel, then are discipled. Then those who are discipled lead others to Christ. That is multiplication. We desire to do more than just invite others to church so a pastor can share Christ with them. No, it is our call, our command, and our privilege to carry the name of Christ to our workplaces, our schools, our homes, and our communities. Making disciples is not a calling for a few, but a command to every believer in this room. And this morning, that's where we're at. And this is not just something our church made up, right? We see this all throughout Scripture, all throughout the New Testament, and even right there at the birth of our church. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can turn there or you can see it on the screen. It's Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, you have the birth of the church. Jesus talks about this. He's saying, hey, there's going to come this 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 entity is going to come into the world, and it's going to change the world. It's going to be his method of building the kingdom of God. And in Acts chapter 2, it starts right there. You have this incredible message that Peter preaches, and he preaches this message. And after the message is given, the invitation follows, and 3,000 people come to know Jesus right after that message. I mean, talk about a Billy Graham crusade, right? I mean, it's that kind of that kind of impact,
2: it right? The ultimate crusade. I yeah, mean, it's the first one.
0: Yeah, it, it is. It's the first big moment like that, this incredible message with the incredible power of God behind Peter. And it's crazy to me to think about that. Like, Peter's just a simple fisherman, right? And he's preaching this message, 3,000 people come to know Christ, and the birth of the church begins. And I love how Acts chapter 2 kind of wraps up and summarizes what God is doing among the people. Look it with me there in Acts chapter 2 verse 46. Every day they, the believers, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And look at what it says here. And the Lord added... And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, can you just imagine this for just a minute? Like, this church, daily, people were just coming to Christ. Like, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. Just, can you imagine the excitement And none of them them?
2: were professionals.
0: Yeah, no professionals, right? Like,
2: we're on staff. We're professionals. Yeah. These guys weren't professionals at all. They weren't even pastors. They weren't trained. They just, people coming to know Christ. Yeah.
0: And daily this is happening. Well, think about the excitement there and then look in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, just four chapters later, God does something amazing. And it's one of these things you can kind of read between the lines of what's happening here in the church. But Acts chapter 6 in verse 1, just look at that first phrase there. It says this, now in those days when the number of the disciples was... Multiplying now this is this this might not sound like a big deal, but this is a huge deal because somewhere between Acts chapter two and Acts chapter six, the word changes from adding to multiplying, and this is kind of crazy because this is the first time this word is used in the New Testament. The word multiplying first time is right here in this passage. What is happening in the church? What happened from addition to multiplication? What happened here? Why did it begin to multiply? It multiplied because of the very thing that we're talking about this morning. Discipleship in action. What does it look like to make disciples? How would you define Spiritual multiplication. Christian, this question is for you. How have you guys seen this play out? How have you seen this play out in your own life, this idea of making disciples?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's kind of crazy when you look at how even um, in my life, and because the people who have discipled me, I'm talking about my dad and um, even John and other people like that, someone discipled them first, and then someone discipled them, and it wasn't just like they just came to know Christ and were, were great at teaching and mm-hmm. showing it really came people before them so it's gone generational all the way down that it's not just one person that's in charge of all of this it's not just one pastor it's not just one uh one person that god is blessed with great teaching or great discipleship methods or or some sort of like great discipleship plan or curriculum it happens across the board um being just regular people not uh like even special people to that i think of um really in in 2 Timothy here. Um, It says, 2 Timothy in chapter 2, it says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. That is Paul talking to Timothy here. Paul was Timothy's discipler. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So Paul right there in 2 Timothy saying, hey, look, it's more than just like, me teaching you and then you teaching other people. And trust this with other people. You have to start giving off responsibility and teaching people and showing people how to how to grow because this is not just an addition thing. This is a multiplication thing. This is bigger than just me and you. This is, the world is gonna be changed by this, right? Um, I think about uh, how we do ministry within Warehouse. And um, in Warehouse we have any given Wednesday in this, our student ministry, we can have 80 and we even had a couple of weeks ago or actually about a couple months ago, we had over 100 students in one, one Wednesday night. And honestly, that's just too many people for me to disciple. Uh, I get paid full time to be here. That's great and all, but I don't care how great of a, a disciple you are. You cannot disciple 100 people. I teach them. I show them. But really how we're set up in warehouse is that I disciple leaders who then disciple others. And if it was really pushed and you really came to say, who's really your student pastor, it wouldn't even be me, because I'm not the one who calls them. I'm not the one who knows everything going on in their lives. It's their small group leaders. It's the leaders that they're doing life with, and those are leaders who text them every week and call them and know what's going on. Because even if we look at Jesus, he had 12 disciples, right? There's 12. And you could make the case that there was maybe 70 people following him around that were close, but there was 12 disciples, and then there was three close disciples that Peter, James, and John, So that's Jesus, and I'm not any better than Jesus, I can promise you that. So (laughs) if Jesus is discipling 12, there's no way that I can disciple 12. So I got somewhere less than that that I can really be close to. So that's what I think of multiplication, that... There's so much more we can do if we don't just look at addition saying, there's one person I can get, but if how can we get that person to multiply into that person? And then you start getting bigger and bigger numbers. And that's how the gospel goes from 12 people walking around in, in Galilee to millions of people across the world.
0: Yeah. I mean, you think about that whole addition idea, right? It, in the first century, it be the equivalent to saying, hey, come, come hear this guy, Peter. He's got a great message. Come, come with me and come listen to this guy preach, right? Yeah. But, and that, that, you know, there's some value to that, but there's nothing more powerful than this idea of one-on-one discipleship or a few-on-one yeah. discipleship where God begins to shape that. And I love how you've set up student ministry like that, right? That, that's the way it's set up. And for all of us in this room, some of you guys, man, uh, you're doing this, right? You have people in your life that you're not only being poured into, but you're pouring into other people's lives. And you've got those people in your life. And for some of us, if if we were honest, I think for some of us, we have all kinds of reasons why we don't need to do this, right? We have all these reasons why, well, I don't need to, to, to have my own person that I'm investing in because you fill in the blank. And Susie, you've talked about this before, I mean... It's, it's almost like the enemy, if, he, if this is the plan of God, if the plan of God and the purpose of God and the vision of God and the command of God is to go and make disciples, then we also know the vision, plan, and purpose of the enemy. The vision, plan, and purpose of the enemy is to sabotage that however he can do that. And we know the vision and purpose is, is foolproof. The fault is never in the plan or the vision. The fault is in the people, right? Right? And uh, the enemy goes to sabotage this. And you, you talked about this uh, in one of our meetings, just how the enemy does this. Like, how, how have you seen this play out in your own life, uh, the enemy trying to, to get in there and mess that up?
1: Well, I, I definitely know that he tries to convince us that we're not worthy or we're mm-hmm. unqualified, that we don't have the answers to help anybody else or to work with anybody else. And, even just up here this morning, it's like you used the word "professional" a minute ago, and i 'm thinking, right, you know here I am with sweaty palms and a heart beating <laughs> out of my chest, sitting in here, you know between two professionals. But you know at the crux of it, it 's like what Corby was talking about earlier that we have the Holy Spirit within us, and that 's what we 're dependent on that it has nothing to do with us or any answers that we think we have. It's all about standing on the Word of God, speaking that Word into the lives of other people, praying that Word over other people, standing on the Word, you know, and believing what the Bible says, you know, that God's Word does not return void. It accomplishes what He sends it forth to accomplish. And then just pursuing the Holy Spirit in our lives. I think about... Galatians 5, 16, and, you know, we're commanded. It's not an option. We're commanded to walk by the Spirit. And I think sometimes we jump to the end of that verse. We want to do it so we don't fulfill the lust of our flesh. But that first part, that's for every part of our life, to walk by the Spirit. And to me, that means pursue the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit and be actively actively seeking Him out in our lives. And I know um, John 7, 37-39, I love those verses that where Jesus stands up and He tells them, He says, you know, if you're thirsty, come to Me and drink. And He said, you will, if you believe in Me, you will have rivers of living water in you. And then it says it right there, that is the Holy Spirit. And as believers, you know, once we've believed and received, we have those rivers of living water in us. And it's really up to us to a certain extent if we want that to be a trickle or if we want it to be a flood. And you can look up the definition of that word and it speaks to that. And, um, and I think also about Ephesians 3.20 that, you know, God can do more than we can ask or imagine. And I think we all, you know, are familiar with that verse and we pray that a lot, especially in desperate situations. But if we look at the last part of that verse, yes, it says God can do more than we can ask or imagine, but it says according to the power that's in us. So are are we building that up? Are we actively seeking, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And like Corby said, you know, passing that on to our children, you know, or passing it on to our church family or passing it on outside the walls of this church.
2: Yeah, I think of um, the whole idea of the enemy sabotaging are uh, efforts to disciple, and this comes uh, from psychology, but this idea of the imposter syndrome. Have you ever heard of it? It's when you step into a job, and uh, really in the secular world or any kind of job, and you feel like you're an imposter, that you're not really the person that should be doing this, that you're just pretending, and you're pretending to be a medical person, you're pretending to be a nurse, you're pretending to be a teacher. You're not really good enough, and there's not a reason. Like I just, I'm just faking it until I make it kind of thing. And the thing is like something like 60 to 70% of people go through this in their life and their professional career, like imposter syndrome. And I think that same thing happens to us um, when we go to disciple, we say, oh, well, we're not really good enough. I'm not enough. Like we're talking about professionals. I'm not a professional. There's nothing special about being on staff at a church or being a pastor when it comes to discipling. It is a mandate for everyone. And what we feel like we're just making fun, like we're just making it up as we go. And well, I don't know. I'm not good enough Oh, I've messed up. What? right do I have to help somebody else show and really that's just the enemy saying no don't do it right don't don't worry about it like just keep coming to church it's fine if you come to church that really I think John talked about it last week that if you just we can fill the church and that's great but if we're not going out and making disciples the enemy doesn't really care like great you got you got 500 people here fantastic but if those 500 people aren't doing anything then that's it's kind of worthless and so the enemy says you know you're not good enough now, you can't do it, you don't, you don't know enough, you don't know enough scripture, you haven't lived a good enough life, you cannot disciple anybody. And that's where the enemy wants us to be, coming here on Sunday morning, sitting in a chair, and then not doing anything else with it for the rest of our lives.
0: Well, and it's funny you say that, And maybe you deal with this, maybe you don't. Um, but I tell you, I, I don't know about you, and I don't know about these other pastors that are, are, are here at church, but even when I'm presented with the opportunity, when the Holy Spirit begins to bring someone into my life, whether by their own doing or whether it's somebody that God lays in my heart to, to disciple or invest in, I get the same feeling Susie gets, mm-hmm. right? Like For sure. I've got the education, you know, the, the degrees and the, the experience, whatever. But it's almost like you always have this tendency to want to defer up. Mm-hmm. I'll defer them to... Gary, who's more mature spiritually than I am, or, or Brian, who's more mature spiritually than I am. Like, it's not just a, a layperson thing. Yep. It's, it's a pastor problem, too, that this enemy... Who does
2: Brian defer to at that point? Yeah,
0: exactly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> He's a uh, you just talk with God, you're fine. Yeah, yeah,
0: let me call another pastor. <laughs> no. Um, no, but seriously, it's always this tendency that we have to, to defer to someone else. To say, well, someone else can do this because they're further along than I am, and they're more mature than I am, and they're more experienced than I am, and they're more educated than I am. And the fact of the matter is, if God's laying this on our heart, sometimes the people just come right in, onto our doorstep. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we're not talking this story, and hopefully this the testimony and the story that we're going to share uh, in the future... With this young lady, hopefully we'll be able to do that in the future. But that's kind of what happened with you, with her. It's literally someone placed her in your lap. Like literally just said, Susie, we need you to spend some time with this lady. And just the feeling of I'll defer to someone else, right? Man, the enemy, that's just a tactic of the enemy to keep us lazy and bloated and focused on ourselves as opposed to focused on others.
1: And that's where, too, I think it's important that we just stay aware and stay in tune with the Spirit, because even just, it can be outside the doors of the church. It can be sitting here in a pew on Sunday morning. To be uh, sensitive to the Spirit's promptings, you know, He may bring somebody right in front of us that needs us you know, maybe not even for a lengthy type of discipleship, maybe for that day, for a few weeks, but just to be sensitive that we, when God does put somebody in front of us.
0: Well, and I love you because you're talking about this now. You're, you're talking about what this looks like once it starts. Once a person says, I want to disciple someone, I want to invest in someone, I want to mentor someone, not for my glory, but for God's, but I want to do that and that process starts in that season of life or that time of life. What does that look like? I mean, you've talked a lot about this, Susie. What what should that look like? That process.
1: Well, and even even that in itself, I don't think it always looks the same. I think it depends on the people that are involved. And I know recently somebody that I've I've worked with that we didn't even actually meet in person, face to face a lot. You know, we. We had phone calls, we had FaceTime, we texted a lot, we emailed. So there's really nothing said about it other than, to me, standing on the Word of God, you know, the prayers, whether, you know, I I have a lot of friends, we even pray online together or we send text prayers during the day. And I found that that even really ministers to people in situations.
0: What about you, Christian? What, you, what, what have you seen how this play out in, in your life as far as the process of discipleship? I mean, you're, you're discipling interns right now. You've got some students that you're working with. Um, what does that look like in your life as far as that process?
2: Yeah, it's, it's hard and it really is independent because I, like, so in Warehouse, I have a group of interns and interns are great. And if you're in college student, you should look at being an intern with us because it's a lot of fun. This is but an
0: advertisement. It's an advertisement.
2: <laughs> Don't worry about him. Um, but yeah, so it's hard though, because it's independent where student, where these interns wanna go. And so what's God calling them at and where is God calling them to. And so some interns need to be pushed a little bit harder. Jonathan, you were student pastor before. There's hard conversations you have with interns, oh, yeah. right? You were an intern and you had hard conversations that you were needed some correction in when you were an intern, right? No, Never, no, no. no. I
0: was
2: perfect. Perfect, perfect intern. Wes was an intern before he was, and he needed a lot of help. Um, So, but... But there's these these times where we have to correct, but then there's these times where we get to see grow. And so you look at interns and you say, okay, well this is where the discipleship process is happening. There's hard things, there's good things, there's fun times, there's harder conversations to have. I know when um, one of the pastors that was discipling me back um, when I was in college, and he said, hey, if we're going to get together, I expect you. If I'm going to give my time to you, I have this expectation of you reading scripture in this this time that you're going to spend with God. He sent me the scripture. Going to read throughout the week and it was broken up and it was like a good chunk of scripture 30 40 minutes worth of reading a day and we were going to talk about that and then i jonathan said earlier that you know i can talk well and i can just kind of talk and wes even made a joke like hey christian why don't you talk about water filters at the staff meeting on monday and i started talking about water filter. i don't know nothing about water filters. i can just talk to talk the gift of gab the gift of gab yeah. well so i was meeting with this pastor and he's like you didn't read the scripture did you you haven't read anything. And I'm just talking about it. Like, I'm like, yeah, you know, uh, Job went over, uh, you know, all this stuff in his life. I'm just talking about the scripture I'm supposed to be reading. And he's like, yeah, and read it. And I was like, no, you're right, I hadn't. He's like, this is important. You can't, if you're going to be called to what God needs to be, and we're going to sit here and meet and we're going to talk about this, you have to put the effort in on your side. So there's this hard conversation. When you really do discipleship, the, as a discipler, there is a hard conversation. Sometimes there's calling out that you have to do that. I'm sure you've had that in your life when you've had to like tell a lady, hey, you need, you're missing something. In your life. And then, same thing in our lives, right?
1: Exactly. And just what you said, even about those scriptures, I mean, you know, in Ephesians, it tells us our spiritual weapon is the Word of God. You know, we have to be using the Word of God. We have to be in the Word of God. We have to know what the Word of God says, or else we have no defenses at all. You know, and we have to use that for our offensive weapon, you know, that we speak it and we believe it and we claim it.
2: Yeah, so I've I've gotten called out a lot. I've had to do calling out and those are the awkward conversations. Um but that's really where we have to be rest in the word and I think of um or it talks about iron sharpens iron, and it doesn't say this, but I like to think like diamond sharpens diamond because it says men iron sharpens iron, but for women maybe it can be diamond, you know, cuts diamond <laughs> something prettier, uh, something than prettier iron. than iron, so like diamonds cutting diamonds kind of thing. Um, but that's how it is. It's a it's a process, and there's a there's a work. It's not all always. Oh, you're doing so great. That's phenomenal. No, sometimes it's a stretching and a pushing, and that's a little painful when you're sharpening something that there's, there's, a, there's a rubbing there that is, is difficult sometimes, and that's what discipleship is. It's, it's, and we talk about this in marriage, that marriage isn't always happy and, and great things. Sometimes it's a little bit of rubbing, but that's God creating you to be who you ultimately need to be.
0: Yeah, and, and it's, it goes back to this whole idea, and we, d- we do this with just about everything in our lives. We try to quantify everything we can into some nice, neat little package or some nice, neat little program, and, and that's not really what discipleship is. It's not a six-week. Let's walk through this six weeks, and then I'm just going to release you and let you go. Like that's not really discipleship. It's it, there's definitely seasons of life that people come in and out of our lives, but I think we we the hangup is. We, we treat discipleship as this process, I'm going to take them through this process, and then they're done. Then they're not my problem anymore. They've been
2: discipled. They've
0: been discipled, check, and they're not my problem anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and it's this idea of that's not really what love is, that's not really what accountability is, that's not really what discipleship looks like. Discipleship, for lack of a better word, is messy. Like it's a messy process. And we, we had that graph we're gonna put on the screen in just a little bit, but you think of that spiritual infant or that young, young child that's spiritually immature, it's no different than a than an infant. Like an infant we just had three infants on stage here. It's really no different. I mean, no parent expects to birth a child and raise a child and think this is just gonna be nice and clean. Like it doesn't happen, right? The baby poops through the outfit, you know. The baby plays in the toilet. The baby makes a huge mess in your kitchen. Like I'm describing my weekend right now. <laughs> um, but here's the thing: like this is this is what what it's like when you're discipling someone younger in the faith, right? That they're gonna make messes, but that doesn't change our love for that person. That we had the the privilege to watch them grow and be a part of that growth in their life and just realizing that's where people are at.
2: You know. And we get the opportunity to be that baby at some point in time, that we need that parenting. Like We know that we don't just leave a child to raise themselves, like yes. it's good, like does it hurt when you get called out? Yeah, but it helps you become more to where who God wants you to be. And so I think that that's the same thing. We get to be the, you know, when we're discipling someone, we're more of kind of helping guide someone. but. Being the person being disciple is just as important and just as hard because it's a little more hard when you start, someone starts saying, hey, you need to check this out in your life. Yeah. And you're like, you sure? Yeah. You sure I need to worry about that? And, but really, you know, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, and speaking of a baby, okay, so I'm going to bring this up. Um, you just recently become a father, mm-hmm. which is pretty exciting. And uh, you're actually going to be dedicating your, your child here at least in just a little bit in the yep. next gathering. Um, you know, I think for a lot of people, um, it, it's, it's almost like you have these tendencies. Some, some people have a tendency to just focus on their family and just focus on what's going on in their little family. Other people have a tendency to just go and, and think that ministry is all out there. But it's, it's both, right? It's not just ministry and discipleship out there. the lost and dying world it's also discipleship right there in your home and so many people miss this honestly i think pastors miss this easier than just about anybody that they can have dynamic ministries vocational ministries within the church or overseas or or whatever and yet miss the opportunity the first ministry right there in their home and i know you're kind of new at this (laughs) But what does that look like in the home? What what's discipleship? What what do you uh, maybe not what it looks like because you're not there yet? But what do you hope to see happen there?
2: I think right now it's just anticipation because Elisa's. Almost four months old, so this first child i don 't know anything about parenting. Um, I know how to work with teenagers from a from that perspective. I have no idea what I'm doing when it comes to parenting, I don't know about disciplining like a, your own kid either, and I'm just kind of anticipating so it 's a lot of asking questions and and listening to uh, Jonathan and Wes and Brian and Corby and uh, Gary talk about what they did and what they do in their lives and their family and because um, because I don't know, I'm I'm so new at this. And so trying to be the father that I need to be and be the husband that I need to be, because my wife, I, I, at this point in time, like she's really the primary caretaker. Like as much as I want to be, as much as I love her, there's things that she can do for this baby that I can't. And so how can I still be intentional about um, discipling my family and being a part of there? And and I, the thing is, I don't know. So it's really the, a lot of asking questions and, and setting, and, anticipation of actually doing that discipling for her, for Elise, as she gets older.
1: And, you know, I was at a funeral of a family friend this week. Uh, He passed away. He was 99 years old. And talk about a legacy of discipleship that this man left for his family. Um, They told this story at the funeral. They said every night at 10 o'clock, it didn't matter what was going on, what was on the TV, who was in their house, the TV went off, whatever they were doing stopped, the Bible came out, and he led his, his family in prayer and Bible study. They said that was every night of his life. And they even told some humorous stories of, like, boyfriends that were in, you know, dating dating his daughter and how they were like, what's going on? But I thought, you know, what a legacy, you know, that here's this father that has discipled his family, you know, and discipled countless other people, you know, outside his family through the years. So, uh, and then the other thing I think personally about discipleship in our own homes that's so hard is that those are the people that see who we really are you know when we lose our temper or do things that we don't want anybody else you know they see us you know and so and there again that's just where you know the the grace and the love of christ i think you just have to claim in those situations because you know none of us is perfect and none of of us is worthy you know apart from christ
0: yeah it's easy to meet with someone for coffee that's not in your home (laughs) Uh, versus someone right there in the home and and so there this is an important thing that we that we see in the church is that it's not just an out there kind of ministry that we have a ministry in our home as well and I kind of want to I know we've only been doing this for for two weeks and we're not going to do this uh, anymore like next week we're starting a new series but for a lot of us this is where we find ourselves we realize that um, we need to be doing this and the fact of the matter is, and I'm not going to beat around the bush about this, this is just the truth. Discipleship does cost something. It costs us something to do that. And I want us to talk for just a minute, what is that cost? What is the cost of discipleship? Susie, what, what's the cost?
1: Well, I think instinctively, anytime, if, especially if we're being asked to work with somebody, you know, uh, or uh, put together, you know, one of the pastors would call and ask us to work with somebody. The first thing that enters our mind is, well, do I have time for this? And is it gonna interrupt my schedule? Is this gonna be convenient or not? But the more I thought about that as as we were planning, I thought, you know, really the true cost, the true time that's spent begins, I think, in our time that we spend alone with God Mm -hmm. in the Word you know, and building that relationship. And you mentioned the word love a few minutes ago, and that, because Galatians 6, 2 says that we're to bear one another's burdens. And then it says, and this fulfills the law of Christ. And I don't know if this is theologically correct, but when I read that, I think what well, Jesus said that the greatest commandment, you know, is to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to love other people. So when we when we disciple other people, it's a demonstration of God's love. But I think we have to experience that love for ourselves first, and that intimacy, you know, to be able to pour into other people. And I know I love John one one that in the beginning was the Word, you know, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you jump down to verse 14 where it says, and the Word became flesh. Mm -hmm. You know, and then John says, and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. But, you know, we can behold His glory in our own lives. It may look different than the way the disciples experienced it when they were walking with Him face to face. But I just feel like every time I sit down with my Bible and open the pages of the Bible, I mean, it's like my spirit is truly communing with the spirit of Christ, you know, and that's where that intimacy and that love and that getting to know his heart, you know, to have his heart for other people, you know, and I don't mean it to sound like, you know, I don't totally blow it and totally mess up at times, but, you know, just to have that innate desire, you know, of wanting to know him more and pursuing him and wanting other people to be able to experience that and to realize that he has the answers for everything that we need. Even if we don't know what those answers are in some cases, you know, he knows what those answers are and that we can use his word, you know, to just commune with him, to know him better and just to live our lives.
2: that the worst schools in Charlotte and the worst classes, that's where he wants to be, and he's going to retire and he has this terrible rheumatoid arthritis, his fingers and and toes are all kinds of um, messed up severe rheumatoid arthritis, and he gets in the discipleship group, and he's thinking retirement, and he gets challenged, and instead of retirement, when you read through James, and it says what's pure religion is um, looking after the widows and orphans, and he's like, okay, great, so look after people who can't look after themselves, and so, he starts this ministry for homeless and um, people who are marginalized and in that situation. So instead of retiring, he goes and starts this ministry that ends up affecting thousands of people in the Cabarrus County area and does that all the way up until he dies. Like literally, he goes from retirement, working 40 hours a week as a teacher to then working 60 to 70 hours a week with homeless individuals. And that was his retirement because he got so, once he got discipled and was really looking and he was studying, he's like, man, the cost is not me. I have to give this up. I can't can't live retirement. I have to live for Jesus. And so that was like, for me to see that, I'm thinking, man, that's that's hardcore. I'm not a retirement yet, but if he's going to do that in his retirement, how do I live my life out in the same way? Because that's a huge cost. And I think really it ends up
1: and I thought, what a living, breathing testimony that is. And I know this is backing up a little bit in what we talked about. But, I mean, but your multiplication right here, because when I first got to know you and you came to this church, that's what you were doing. You were working in a homeless ministry, evidently following in the footsteps of this man who discipled you. Exactly.
0: exactly. It's funny, too, because we always think in terms of costs. Like, what's this going to cost me? But really, discipleship is not cost, it's investment. It's, it's not losing, it's gaining. We're investing in something. We're spending to gain more. And man, when you think about that, there's something powerful about that. I, I, I'll, I'll never forget, I was sitting right over here at a, at a parent conference a few years ago, and our speaker was Rob Renow. And he talked about this idea of discipleship. And I remember him saying this, and it still blows me away when I think about it. But he was saying that if we would just take the time in our in our walk with Christ to to just make a plan to to disciple five people in our lifetime. Just five. Five people in our lifetime. And and we truly discipled them to a point where they were making their own disciples. And they were making their own disciples, and they were making their own disciples. disciples. In just a period of 200 years there would be 800,000 believers because of that man what kind of legacy do we want to leave I talked to uh, an older gentleman and we talk a lot about legacy and we talk about what it means to leave a legacy that matters not money necessarily uh, not not stuff you know But what it means to leave a legacy that matters. Something that outlives your very own name. Because most of us can't even tell us the first name of our great-great-grandparent. Most people don't know that. And if you do, you probably don't know the the, the next generation. But what an opportunity that we have to make a lasting impact and to leave a legacy not of our name, but for the name of Christ, that we can make disciples who make disciples. And so I want to end this morning with just... Asking the same way we asked last week, where do you find yourself this morning? Where do you find yourself this morning? This was there on the screen and it's are still in your handout, but where do you see yourself on this chart? Who, are you, who is discipling you and who are you discipling? You know, uh, I've heard this analogy before and I think it's a great one. They talk about the difference between the desert And the Dead Sea the desert and the Dead Sea and stay with me on this but I think for believers we have a tendency to be one or the other right we have the tendency sometimes to to we might be the person that's literally just pouring out into everyone else's life and no one's pouring into our life and if that's the case man we're dry we're like the desert but for some of us I would dare say that it's the opposite that might be true We might have people that are really, truly pouring into our lives. We might have pastors and and parents and uh, just people, connect leaders. We might have all kinds of people pouring into our life, but we might find ourselves not pouring into anyone else's life. That's really what the Dead Sea is. If you go study the Dead Sea, it's got all of this water coming into it, but that water's got nowhere to go. And you want to know the truth about the Dead Sea? Nothing lives there. Not even a single-celled organism can live in the Dead Sea because it's stagnant. It's got all of this stuff coming in, but no outlet. And I'll be honest, I think a lot of Christians find themselves in that place where they're hearing message after message, where they're hearing the Word of God. They may be reading the Word of God. They might have all kinds of people speaking into their lives, but they've never taken the time to invest into someone else's life. So maybe you're here this today and you're one of those. Maybe you're the desert or maybe you're the Dead Sea. Man, God wants us to have people that are discipling us and investing in us. But he also wants us to be investing in someone else. And I want to leave you with this question. It's kind of a weird question. If every church, this is so convicting for me and it's probably convicting for you. If every church in the world was just like this church... Would we see disciples being made? Would we see what we see in Acts chapter 2? Multiplication of people coming to Christ, of being discipled in Christ. If every church was just like our church, what would it look like? And I'll be honest, that's a convicting question for pastors. That might be a convicting question for you. But let me even turn the knife just a little more if you let me. If every believer in Christ was just like you, Would we see disciples? Would we see people of all nations coming to Christ? Would we see people here in Shelby coming to Christ? Would the people you bump shoulders with and go to work with, would they be coming to Christ? If every person was just like you, what would this world look like? I want us to end with that thought process. And before we pray and before we get into our last moments here, I I, I wanna take out something there in your handout. You've got right there in your handout. At the bottom there, there's a heading there that says making disciples. It's the same thing that we had in the handout last week. And I'll just tell you, man, God is moving in this church. We had several people, several people fill this card out to the point where us as, as pastors, we're praying, it's a good overwhelming feeling, but we're praying through Who can disciple some of these people and these people also that want to disciple, connecting them together. And we're still in the midst of that. So if you filled out one of these cards, don't worry. We're we're working with you, okay? But maybe you find yourself in this place this morning and maybe you realize this morning you need to do something. Maybe this morning you know that you're dry as the desert and you need someone speaking into your life. I want to encourage you. Check that that box put it in our give box on the way out or maybe you're in this room this morning and you've got all kinds of people filling into your life but man you're not pouring into anyone else this is your opportunity to start making disciples so let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you God for our moments together we thank you God that even though this is nothing like what we thought was going to happen this morning we thank you Lord that in spite of that God you are sovereign you are great and the message that you have for us this morning remains true. That, God, you have called us and you are commanding us not only to be discipled, but to make disciples. So, Father, in these moments, I pray, God, that you would help us, motivate us, get us out of our laziness, Father, to do something for your kingdom, Father. And it wouldn't be about us, but it would be ultimately about your glory, your name, your fame. And Father, that we can leave a legacy of Jesus behind us, even when we pass away. So Father, thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.